You know, when Christianity and the church affirm what the culture already believes, the culture oftentimes will cooperate with the church and even look up to the church, accept the church's teaching. When we think about sometimes parenting or marriage, the world says, well, it seems like the church knows something about that, and so they give a listening ear and may affirm the church. When it thinks about money, it seems like the church may know something about how to handle money and, and handle money, uh, handle finances well, responsibly, and so the world may listen to the church. But when the world does not agree, then it becomes more difficult, doesn't it? When the culture does not agree with the values that the church lays out, it probably is not going to affirm the church. It probably is not going to listen to the church. And we can sometimes be tempted to back down from what we believe, from speaking truth to power. But what we as Christians are called to do is to always stand for truth. And so often it's the teaching of Jesus that challenges our culture to rethink what is true, to rethink the values, the things that they think are most important. Jesus challenges that. Jesus did that in the first century as he spoke to the Jews who surrounded him and how they understood their role, how they understood what it meant to be a nation, a people, God's people. And he speaks to us today because sometimes we as Christians carry the values of the world into our own lives. And Jesus says, listen, listen because I just might turn your world upside down. Today we come to the third in this series of lessons that I'm calling Upside Down. And we're thinking about how Jesus challenges us to rethink our presuppositions, our assumptions about life. And he does that. In Mark chapter 10, we see that over and over. And we'll come back to Mark 10 again this morning. One of the things that we assume, and I think sometimes carries over from our culture, is that ambition is really a good thing. And that word can be used in lots of different ways, but you know, when we think about a young person who is goal-oriented, who wants to accomplish something, to move up the ladder, to gain position, and maybe influence and power, we think that's to be admired, and in some ways it really is, okay? But we also need to think about the presuppositions that stand behind that. Because part of what we're saying is that it is always good to pursue position, and power. Now, we may not say that, but it stands behind that presupposition. It's important for us to acknowledge that. And in some ways, we like that personally because most of us, well, we like to be in charge. We like to set the agenda. We like to, to tell people how it's going to go. We want to control things. And as a people, as a group, we can be that way as well. We want influence in our culture. We want to be able to say what really matters. And sometimes we will go to great lengths to achieve that, to get that kind of power in our culture. We want to be in control because we've seen what it looks like when people who are not Christians are in control. Now, I think this has to do with the church, but it has to do with human nature. Because it always feels a little more comfortable when the people who are in charge, whether it's in church, in some community organization, in government, whether it's local or national, in, in our business, it feels more comfortable when the people in power are a lot like us. Because we assume they'll have the same kinds of values. We assume they'll take care of us. We need to hear what Jesus has to say. Because he may at least challenge some of that thinking. Today, 
We do come back to Mark chapter 10. We're going to go a little further down in Mark over the next couple of weeks. But the first three weeks of this series, we've been looking pretty carefully at some of Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 10 and just how it challenged the people in the first century and how it challenges us in the 21st century. As we look at Mark 10, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that if we go back just a few verses, what we'll see is Jesus predicting his death, burial, and resurrection for the third time. Now what's striking in this is that his disciples don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand. And there's one of two things at work here. And what I see is that number one, they're ignoring what Jesus has to say, maybe because they don't like it. They're thinking Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. And a dead king doesn't do you any good. And so the Messiah is not supposed to die before he reigns. That doesn't make any sense. So they just sort of, they hear what Jesus is, is saying, but they just categorically move it to the side because it doesn't fit their understanding of Messiah. So it's either that they're ignoring it or they don't understand it. Now I could get that they wouldn't understand the first time Jesus says this. And maybe the second, but this is the third time. And if you look at the language that Jesus uses here, it's pretty clear. So to me, it seems like they just don't want to hear what Jesus is saying. That he, the Messiah, is going to die. Now, as we come to Mark chapter 10, I want us to look at a passage that we actually looked at earlier in the summer, as a matter of fact, but I want us to see it maybe in a slightly different way and learn some different lessons from it. So I know we've covered this, but it's a great passage, a great story, and I want us to hear it once again today. It begins in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. James and John come to Jesus. Remember, they're brothers. They're among the three that are closest to Jesus. They were fishermen like Peter and Andrew, and you got to give them credit for boldness as they come to Jesus and talk to him. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I don't know any parent, any leader, any person in business who's going to say, sure, just name it, right? Well, we don't ever agree to do what someone wants without at least inquiring what it might be that they would want us to do. We don't write blank checks very often. Because we know that can get us in trouble. And Jesus knew that too. It's not surprising that Jesus would want to have some insight into what they want. And probably more important, what they're thinking. What's going on in their minds and hearts. That's really what Jesus is after. So, he says that. What do you want me to do for you? He asks. We sort of expect Jesus to say that in verse 36. And then verse 37, they lay it out. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. If ever there was a loaded request from someone, here it is. Jesus, we want to be in the two positions of greatest power, greatest honor in your kingdom. When you're king, we want to sit on the right and on the left because we want the positions of honor, authority, power, Control. That's what this is after. Now, my guess is that this request comes from something that happens in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter 
And then the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, these two men who have come to Jesus, he says, come, come with me. And they go on top of the mountain, and it's there that they witness the transfiguration. Jesus' body is changed. We're give, given some pictures of this. My guess is we can't fully understand all that happened because it's beyond our comprehension. But Jesus' body is changed. It becomes white in ways that it wasn't before. There's the glory of God present in his body. Two great figures from the history of Israel, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. Appears. There they are. Peter wants to build tabernacles to worship them. The, the voice of God is heard and then suddenly it's over. So what we got is these three men have witnessed the glory of God present in Jesus in a way that no one else ever has. And they wanted some of it. So remember what Peter and John say. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They've witnessed the glory of God present in Jesus. And they want to be right there as close as they can get to Jesus when it happens. Now, one of the things I notice about this is there were three men who went on the top of the mountain with Jesus, right? There's Jesus, James, John, Peter. Where's Peter? I got to wonder if James and John are thinking, you know, Peter's already a leader. He, he says some dumb stuff. He does some dumb stuff. But it seems like people are already following him. And I just have to wonder if they were trying to get in line ahead of Peter. I mean, they're the three that are closest to Jesus. They were the three on top of the mountain. So is it that James and John want to make sure Peter doesn't get the place of honor on the right, but that they are on the right and the left. They're the most honored when Jesus is in his glory again. They're not thinking about death. They're not thinking about burial. They're thinking about glory and being as close to that as possible. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus says, are you really prepared to drink the cup that I drink to be baptized with my baptism. And what that meant, they would have understood. That meant suffering. Are you willing to go through what I am going through? And my guess is they really didn't get the extent of what Jesus is talking about. Okay, there's going to be some hard things. Well, they expected hard things. Jesus is the Messiah. You don't come in as a political military leader, take over, beat out the Romans if there's not going to be some struggle. Okay, we'll go, through you with, the, go with you through the struggle, Jesus, but, but Jesus is talking about more than that. They say, yeah, we can do that, verse 39. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Jesus knew. They didn't. But Jesus knew they were going to go through some trouble. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus saying, listen, there are some things even I choose not to control. I'm just letting God handle who's on the right and who's on the left. You just don't know what you're asking for. Because when I come into my glory, 
When the kingdom begins, I have to think Jesus is thinking of the cross. Because it's there He's lifted up. It's there He is robed and crowned. It didn't look like glory. It looked like devastation and humiliation. It looked like the end. And even though He said it three times, they don't get it. But, but that's where Jesus begins to receive His glory because that's where the kingdom starts. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're not ready because the place that you're going to be if you're on my right and left in my glory is going to be on a cross. And God's already chosen the two men who are going to be there. Because there were three on that Friday. Jesus and two thieves. James and John are not ready for that. And it's in this moment that it seems that the rest of the disciples are sort of filtering back in and overhearing this conversation and they realize that James and John have made a request and my guess is they're thinking James and John are trying to edge out everybody else. There's going to be 10 who are left out of being in those positions of honor in Jesus' glory. And they want it. They've got ambition just like James and John do. They've got ambition like everyone does. They want to be in that special place, exalted. And so Jesus lays out exactly what he means when he talks about the kingdom and his role. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and he said this, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Yeah, they, they knew what that was like because they had a Roman governor ruling over Palestine. They had Roman soldiers all over the place. They knew how the Gentiles operated. They knew what Augustus Caesar had been like. They knew what the rest of the emperors were like. And they knew how it worked, that the Gentiles were all about control. If there is an uprising, you crush it. You make sure everyone's following. Jesus says, not so with you. That's one model of being in charge. Position, power, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lays it all out. And part of what he's saying is they have a complete misunderstanding about his mission. They don't get it. They think Jesus is coming in his glory so that, so that he can lay it down just like the Romans have. But Jesus says, that's not who I am. I've come to serve rather than to be served. And you see, that's how he turned the understanding of kingdom upside down. Because when they thought kingdom, they thought Rome. They thought position. They, thought, saw, they saw power. Jesus says, and the reason I've come here to be king is not to control people, but to serve people. The reason I've come here to be king influences the way I will become the king on the cross. 
the greatest act of service in the history of humanity. And so Jesus teaches us, when we think about position and power and maybe even ambition, what we need to think is choose service over power. Now that goes against so much of our thinking. I mean, we may not want to talk about how we really would like to have power because it doesn't seem too well righteous. It's a little unseemly. But the truth is, we do like to have our way, whether it's in our homes or at work or some other place. And Jesus says that's not the way the kingdom of God works. I came to serve, and you're to follow my example. You know, I think of the teaching of Rick Warren, maybe one of the more successful pastors in the United States right now, the big Saddleback Church out in California, and he is a great leader, but he, when you ask him about leadership, what he normally says is, I don't study a lot about leadership. I haven't worked so much on that. What I've done is to try to be a servant, and then leadership has come. And it strikes me that that is so much like what Jesus says here. If you're the right kind of servant, you'll be the right kind of leader. Because you're not looking for power or position. You're looking for ways to help people. And if we get service right, if we get, okay, how can I help the people around me? Then we'll probably get leadership right if it comes. And chances are we'll be asked to lead because people want people to lead who have a servant's heart, who care about the people around them. And so to serve in this way is to follow the example of Jesus. You know, it goes back to our mission. Love God, love others. And we are never going to be able to stand above God. We can never say, I know better than God, or I can handle this better than God, or I've got a better plan than God. Loving God, in part, is submitting to God. And when we choose to love God, then we can choose to love others in a similar way. And we're not going to submit to people to do something that we know is wrong. But when we can say, what can I do to help the people around me? If Jesus came to serve and to be a ransom for many in his service, what can I do to make a difference in the lives around me? I could choose power. Jesus chose service over power. And we are called to do exactly the same thing. How can I serve the people around me? You know, if we look back in Christian history, what we find is Christians don't always do well when they get a lot of power. In fact, Christians a lot of times act like non-Christians because power goes to our heads. We get corrupt when we have too much power. And maybe the answer to that is not to figure out how to be better people, but to figure out how to be more like Jesus and to find ways to serve others. Because when we choose service over power, we choose to become like Christ. And when we are like Christ, we will be both better servants and we'll be better leaders. Let's pray together. God, we like for things to be our way. We like to be in control. God, help us to humble ourselves so that we become more like Jesus. 
more of a servant. God, we can reflect the ways of the world so easily, but we pray that you'll help us to hear the teaching of Jesus so that when our world needs to be turned upside down, it will be. And we'll follow your way rather than the ways of our culture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, part of following Jesus is submitting ourselves to him and saying, you know what, he's my Savior, but he's also my Lord. In fact, the earliest Christian confessions were Jesus is Lord. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we put ourselves underneath his authority. It's a first step to becoming a servant. And maybe today you're ready to take one of those first steps to say Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to follow him because of who he is. If you've made that decision, we'd love to walk with you through the process of becoming a disciple, to be baptized, to live a life that follows Christ. If you're ready to make that decision, let us know about it. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand.